0: Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never alone. Hello, and welcome to Keepers of the Flame podcast, where together we weather this storm. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number five, the top fives. In this episode, we have five different topics, and we're going to give the top fives of them. So we'll talk about the top five questions you should ask your providers, the top five helpful things that you or a loved one can do to help prepare for treatment, top five things not to say to someone fighting breast cancer, the top five metaphors and quotes, and the top five aha moments that I myself had that I wanted to share with y'all. On our website, there's an article that I wrote about the questions that you should bring with you when you go to see your providers, be it the breast surgeon, the medical oncologist, or the radiation oncologist. I found that when I went Fear liked to take the reins and it was very helpful if I had a set of questions to take with me so that I could keep myself focused. Okay, fear might try to get me off running down this path of, oh my gosh, what if, what if, what if, but then bring it back. Keep bringing it back to my list. Okay, here's question two, check it off. Question three, check it off. So for more detailed information of what questions that you should bring and ask by provider, check out that article that I have on the website, www.togetherweweather.org. But for this podcast, I just wanted to do a highlight of some of, I think, the biggest key questions that you're gonna wanna ask. So question number one, and these are not in any, my fives, y'all, they're not in any particular order. They're just on there. But number one, you wanna know What kind of cancer do I have? I used to think that breast cancer was just cancer in the breast. Little did I know that there were a thousand different flavors of breast cancer. And I like to think that I'm a smart person, but y'all, I had no idea that that was the case until I find myself walking down this path. So what kind of cancer do you have? Okay, so you might have breast cancer, but what does that mean? Is it found in the ducts? of your breast or is it found in the lobules where the milk is produced? That gives you an idea of where it is. Okay. Is it DCIS or is it invasive? Well, in situ basically means that it's locked inside that compartment. So for example, if you have DCIS, it stands for ductal carcinoma in situ, which means that it is Inside those ducts, that the when the milk is produced from the lobules, it travels through those little tunnels all the way out to the nipple where the milk is released. And so if your cancer is found in the ducts, for example, and it's something called DCIS, meaning in situ, it means that your cancer did not break free of that container, of that little tunnel, okay? Whereas if you have invasive, it means that it kind of ate a hole in that tunnel and started leaking into other... Breast tissue doesn't necessarily mean it made it to the lymph nodes. That's another question. So going back, main question is what kind of cancer do I have? Where is it found? Is it in the lobules? Is it in the ducts? Is it in situ, meaning it's still in that container, or is it invasive? And then also they'll run some tests on your cancer to find out what the hormone receptors are. Is it estrogen and progesterone positive or negative? If it's estrogen- positive those hormones feed it that the cancer has these it has these little receptors on it and it just gobbles up that hormone and likes to grow so if that's the case then there's treatment options they basically do hormone hormone blockers but that's a question that you're going to want to know what am i estrogen positive negative progesterone positive negative negative. And then also they do testing to see whether or not it's HER2, positive or negative. And then your treatment plan is going to basically be dependent on all of that. Okay, so yeah, you have breast cancer, but what flavor of breast cancer do you have? Do you have triple negative? Do you have triple positive? Or do you have estrogen, progesterone positive, HER2 negative? Whatever you have and where it's located What stage you are, that's all the kind of cancer that you have, and your treatment plan is going to be dependent upon all that information. So number one question is you want to know specifically what kind of cancer do you have. Once you have the answer to that first question, that's going to tell you your treatment plan. So that's your second question is, okay, what does my treatment plan look like based off of the information they just gave you? Now, one thing to keep in mind is that your, quote, plan, it develops as you start to move through it. I used to think going in that I could go see the doctor. All right, I have cancer. Tell me what it is. Lay it out for me. Give me my outline. Step Roman numeral one, I do this. Blah, blah, blah. Step Roman numeral two, I do this. da, 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 da. da. Here's the problem. As much as I wanted to plan and know exactly what was coming and when it was coming, Sometimes you just don't get the entire treatment plan written out for you until you start journeying through it. Because you may not know whether or not you need, say, chemo or not until you've already had your surgery and they biopsy the tissue and the lymph nodes. That might determine that for them. So sometimes it's, um, I know it was disappointing for me, and I've spoken to a handful of other women and they've told me the same, that it was frustrating and disappointing going in, well, what am I supposed to do? I can't fight this unless I know my plan. Well, keep in mind that, yes, keep asking what's your treatment plan, but keep in mind that sometimes that's going to fill itself out as you get answers to the first part of it. And your treatment plan, it's very personalized. It's personalized for you because your body is different, your situation is different, and your cancer is different. There's so many different flavors. Parts of different treatment plans can include surgery, a lumpectomy where they remove part of the breast, or a mastectomy where they move the entire breast tissue. Talk about those with your doctors. What's the advantage and disadvantage one over the other? Then there's radiation. There's also chemotherapy. There are things called hormone inhibitors. Uh, Herceptin is also a treatment possibility. And again, all of that depends on the answer to question number one, what kind of cancer do I have? Number three, third question to ask, what are the risks? So if I do this treatment, if I do this, whatever the, the recommendation is, what are the pros, what are the cons, what are the risks associated with it? What is lymphedema? Neuropathy? How will this affect fertility? Or will it? Those kinds of things. Also, what kind of side effects can you expect? Both short-term and long-term. What are they? And just because, you know, more flavors to this, just because you may be recommended, say, chemotherapy, doesn't mean that that in itself is a one-stop shop. There are different sets of cocktails that they can give based off of the kind of cancer that you have and based off of your own personal health. They kind of have to weigh it all. So just because somebody says that they had chemo doesn't mean that it's guaranteed that what exactly they had is going to be the same for you. So ask those questions. What kind of cancer do I have? What's my treatment plan look like? And what are the risks and side effects associated with them? Okay, question number four. This one, number four and five, I love these because when you're starting to feel like, I don't know what to do, I just, I don't know what to do, then ask this question, number four. How will this treatment of blank, yada, yada, whatever they're recommending, be it surgery, radiation, whatever, how will this treatment affect my prognosis? If my risk of reoccurrence is say 20, 30%, how is it that this, procedure that they're recommending, how is that going to alter it? Will it change it down to 10%? Will it change it down to single digits? That's a question to ask. How will this treatment affect my prognosis? That's question four. Question five, when you still aren't quite sure and you don't know what to do because it is overwhelming, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. When you feel like you're in this gray area and it makes sense if you do it but it could also make sense if you don't and you're just not really sure what to do I like to ask well what would you tell your daughter to do or what would you tell your wife to do or if you have a young female doctor you can even ask what would you do and kind of get their personal take on it I love that question because it helps put it into perspective a little bit more okay top five helpful things that either you or a loved one can do to help you prepare. Number one, and again, these are also not in any particular order, but number one is a meal train. I know that I talked about this before when I had my friend Michelle come on in episode number three, and we talked about how cancer is viewed from the friend perspective. The meal train was incredibly helpful. It's when you You And the link to this is also on our website. But it's when somebody sets it up for you and and friends will sign up, I'm gonna bring a meal for you on this day and -and so-and-so is gonna bring it on this day. And that was so nice because after surgery and after chemo, I was just run down. I was exhausted. And in the case of surgery, I couldn't even move, let alone cook. So just having that already taken care of so I didn't have to worry about it, my family was cared for, That was incredibly helpful. So that's one of the things. Thing number two that you can do or have uh, friends can do for you is to have your house cleaned. I couldn't move around. After I had a, a bilateral mastectomy, I could not move my arms. I mean, it took a lot just to get up and move around. Basic care for yourself. Getting up and getting clean and brushing my teeth would wipe me out and I needed a nap. So to have to clean my house, that just wasn't going to happen. So having somebody do that for me took that weight off of my shoulders. Also, when I had chemo, you got to keep the house clean. So that helped there as well. Number three things that can you can do or prepare for ahead of time is to set up a ponytail fund for somebody. Or if you're the one going under treatment, you call your hairdresser and set up an appointment and say, I'm having surgery done on this date. Afterwards, I'm gonna need help washing my hair. Because this is especially true if you are having surgery done prior to, say, chemo. So for example, I had my surgery done And I had long hair. I hadn't had chemo yet, I hadn't lost it all. And after surgery, you can't take a shower right away. And even if I could, I couldn't get my arms to reach up to the top of my head, they just wouldn't move. And so having somebody wash my hair for me made me feel like a whole brand new person. It was one of the best things. So that's number three. Number four thing that you can do to to help prepare is to kind of have these home essentials set up and ready. So for example, if you're gonna have surgery and you come home, where are you going to sleep? Getting in and out of a regular bed was incredibly difficult because I could not use my chest muscles at all. And you don't realize how much you use them, but you know, think about it, you sit in the bed and you wanna push yourself over to the center. Well, you don't just do that wiggling with your legs, do you? No, you put your arms down and you kind of push on the bed to move well, after surgery, you're not gonna be doing that. It's gonna hurt. So getting in and out of a regular bed just wasn't an option for me. I've heard that a lot of people will, if they have a recliner, they'll set up camp in the family room on a recliner. I did not have one, so what I did instead is I set up camp on the on the couch in the family room, and that was good because it was at a, a nice level where I could just kinda squat down, sit, and roll my legs in, and I was good to go. So. At home essentials, knowing where you're gonna sleep. Also, things you all don't think about, but that back and forth movement of moving your arms if you have a mastectomy, it hurts. So if you have an electric toothbrush, that is very helpful because that back and forth movement of a regular toothbrush, that just hurts. So if you have an electric one, you can just kind of hold it there, let it do a tooth, slowly move it, let it do another one. You're still getting your teeth clean. Maybe you just move your head, you know? But um, an electric toothbrush was incredibly helpful. And then also consider an electric razor. I'm of that camp where I just cannot stand to not have my legs shaved. It just bugs me. It just bugs me. I don't know why, I'm crazy, but it just bugs me. And I couldn't really use a straight razor because it was taking a lot more effort. And then as far as my underarms go, I had a scar under my arm from where they had taken lymph nodes out as well. And I couldn't, the sensation came back, but in the beginning, like right after surgery, I couldn't really feel that sensation. So I didn't know how hard I was pushing. And am I am I pushing too hard? Am I gonna slice my skin? Am I gonna pop a stitch? Like that just was a very bad combination. So investing in using an electric razor was helpful because I could get that shave done to make me feel at least partly back to me feeling the way that I wanted to feel without the risk of popping a stitch. So that's just some at-home essentials to think about. And the last thing for the helpful things that you can do at home, if you're, say you have to have chemo done, hopefully you don't, but if that's a journey, if that's part of your treatment plan, then something to help prep for that would be a chemo essentials bag. Okay, well, what, what goes into a chemo essentials bag? Well, these are the things that I found that was helpful. Put in there a uh, fuzzy blanket. It's cold in the treatment room. So having a nice, comfy, cozy, this is my happy blanket space makes you feel better and keeps you warm. Maybe also throwing in there a pair of pretty feminine socks just to be cozy, but also to remind you that there are elements of beauty even if you're in this icky, licky place. And yes, I'm talking about socks because darn it, they can be cute. Also in this chemo bag, it's a good idea to throw in a journal or a cool pen. That way you can be writing down either things that are happening that you want to remember to tell people, or you can be writing down quotes that you come across that are inspiring. Any and everything that you think about that you want to remember because it motivates and inspires you, then you have a place to write it and you got something to write it with. A water bottle is good to throw in that chemo bag. And also, y'all, you're going to be sitting there for a long time. Chemo is not just, hey, give me a little uh, prick in the arm and let's be on our way. No, 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 no. You have to sit in this room and wait and wait, tick, talk, and wait some more until the drugs drip. And it can take hours. My treatment wasn't even that, quote, bad, and I had to sit there for four hours, So you're gonna get bored. You need stuff to entertain you. So bring a deck of cards that you can play with with a support person that comes with you. Throw in your bag, um, magazines, a book that you like to read, or coloring books and coloring pencils, and snacks. A lot of places will have snacks, but if there's something particular that you want, go ahead and bring that too. And then also in the chemo essentials bag, I would say to throw in some super, super soft hats. Hats are good because when you lose your hair, you may not realize this unless you've ever been bald, but a lot of the heat escapes through your head. So even in August in Georgia, I was freezing all the time. So having a hat that I could put on my head would help me keep my body temperature a little bit more regulated. Now I say soft hats because some hats can be scratchy and this part of my body, this skin that really hasn't ever felt much of anything on it before can get irritated really easily if it doesn't have something super soft on it. So soft hats. And that's the chemo essential bag. So those are the top five things. Meal train, clean, ponytail, your at-home essentials information, and your chemo bag. So when somebody tells you that they have cancer, That's pretty shocking, and a lot of people don't necessarily know how to respond. So I'm going to start by saying, here are the top five things not to say, and then try to give you a better idea of things that are helpful, things that you can say. So number one, and again, these are not in any particular order, but number one, I have heard people say, oh, don't do anything drastic, or are you sure you want to do this? And I know that I'm not the only one. I've talked to other survivors who have heard lines similar to those. Like, oh, so-and-so had this done and and she didn't have to do anything really crazy. So don't you do anything crazy either. Like, you'll be fine. Well, here's the thing. Everybody's story is different and your situation is different. So don't, don't say that to somebody that's going through breast cancer because it puts seeds of doubt in their mind. It is hard enough for them to come to terms with what is happening to their body. These decisions that they're making, they don't come too lightly. They may come to the decision of, yes, I'm going to have a mastectomy. That's not an easy decision. Even if they say it and you hear, I have breast cancer, I have to have this surgery. They have not made that decision lightly. So to say, oh, don't do anything drastic, that kind of hurts. Also, there's the other extreme of, Oh, man, I know so-and-so, my Aunt Winifred down the street. She had breast cancer once, but yeah, she she died from it. She she put up a good fight, but she it ended up taking her in the end. Don't say that either. Because, you know, again, everybody has their own story, but you can't compare one person's journey through breast cancer to the next. Those two things, those number one and number two things, even though they're complete opposites, I think that they're coming out from people because they're trying to relate and they're wanting to say something that's helpful and they're just kind of stumbling over their words. So if you are the person that is diagnosed, kind of give them the benefit of the doubt there that they are trying, but then also recognize that just because that was somebody else's story, it does not mean that it is your own. A third thing, not to say to somebody going through breast cancer, don't say, hey, call me if you need anything. I mean, that's nice, and you might genuinely mean, hey, I really, I'm there for you. Call me if you need anything. But here's the thing. Somebody fighting breast cancer, they are already so overwhelmed with everything else that is on their shoulders, with the surgeon's appointment and the radiation oncologist's appointment, and then you have chemo, and I gotta get a port, and, 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 and trying to jump through all of these physical hoops, That and a one more thing, call me if you need anything. As much as you meanwhile was saying it, your loved one's not going to call you. So instead, as their friend, just go ahead and take the initiative. Just do it. Just do something. Also, doing nothing at all and disappearing completely, that isn't helpful either. I know that when we talked about this in the friend episode, we had touched on that as well as that some people, they don't know what to say, so they just kind of disappear don't do that if you are a friend of somebody that's going through this be there say something do it don't leave it open-ended and don't throw it back on their their court saying hey call me if you need me and if they're not calling then you think that they don't need anything that may not be true they're just juggling so much they can't pick up the phone and say i need this and sometimes too they don't even know what it is that they need until they're in that moment and they're needing it number four of the top five things not to say. Don't say to them, hey, everything's gonna be okay. You don't wanna make promises that you can't follow through and guarantee. We know that we we do want to be encouraged. We want that hope. But we don't know for certain that everything is going to be okay. And we know that you know that that's not necessarily the case too. So saying statements like that are just not helpful. So don't, don't claim to know the future and give promises that can't be 100% guaranteed. We don't know that. Instead of blanketly promising everything's going to be okay, which we know you can't, you can't do. Instead, say things like, I'm so sorry that you're having to go through this. I can only imagine how difficult that it must be for you. But I'll be here and I will sit with you through it the whole entire way. I'll go to doctor's appointments with you. I'll set up a blankety-blank, be it a meal train or a ponytail fun or any of those things we talked about before. And you can follow it up and say, I know that I might not, quote, get it, but I can promise you that you won't be alone through this. I will be here and sit with you through it. Another thing not to say, and I wanted to make sure that I, I brought some light to this. For those people that are living with metastatic breast cancer, a lot of Other people, even other survivors and family members, they don't quite understand that when it has metastasized and it's gone to other places, that those women that are living with that metastatic breast cancer, they are going to be having treatment for the duration of their life. Hearing questions like, hey, when are you going to be done? Or how much longer do you have of treatment? Or you're done for those that are survivors. You're done. It's over. Don't worry about it those kinds of things lessen the gravity of what they're going through. So if somebody is living with metastatic breast cancer, don't say, hey, how much longer of treatment? And then on the flip side, those that aren't metastatic that have finished their course of treatment, don't say, oh, you're done, don't worry about it, move on, happy smiles, because a lot of times it's after they've finished the treatment that that big emotional tsunami hits. What you don't want to do as a loved one is you don't want to minimize their trauma. They've been through something hard. Let them process. Let them feel. Let them be however they're going to be in that moment. Don't rush them through it by making comments like, oh, you're done, or when are you going to be done? When people finish their treatment for those that aren't metastatic and they finish their treatment oftentimes they don't feel like they have the right to say anything or to feel a particular way because they're quote done so don't confirm those internal fears that they have by saying oh you're done it's fine get over it you're good because they may slip into their own minds and start to suffer in silence and keep you from seeing the truth that they hide within You don't want that to happen to your friend. So the next category is the top five metaphors and quotes. And some of these I have said before in previous episodes, and y'all, I love them so darn much, you might be hearing me say them again and again and again until you have them memorized because they're awesome. But the first one that I'm gonna share with you, I have already said in previous episodes, this is the, the metaphor of roll onto your back and float. So since I have already said it, I'll I'll make it brief. Basically, when you feel like you're drowning and you're in over your head, I was once told, hey, when you feel like that, what's wrong with rolling on your back and taking a moment to float? It doesn't mean that the swim is over. It doesn't mean that you're giving up. It means that you're taking a moment, just one moment to breathe, to be. And floating, again, it can look different from one person to the next. It could be taking that hot shower. It could be calling a friend. It could be journaling. It could be doing yoga or meditating, okay? Any of those things that give you just that breath. It doesn't mean that you're giving up on your fight. It just means you're taking that moment to catch your breath before turning over and starting your swim again. So floating, that's my—that's one of my metaphors. The second metaphor... Is, I've also said before, this is the cookie dough one. It is the one where I say, okay, well, you're never gonna hear me, hear of me eating a raw egg. That's just disgusting. But I love cookie dough. Well, you can't have good cookie dough if you don't fold in that icky, nasty egg into the batter, right? so good cookie dough is made of the good the bad and the ugly combined it's made of those nice yummy sweet chocolate chips and it's made of that icky icky egg too we are all of it so embrace the cookie dough okay we wouldn't have it if we didn't have those bad moments in our lives either if we didn't have that egg embrace the cookie dough that's metaphor number two Metaphor number three, Ashley talked about in our emotional episode, episode number four. She talked about how we have to let go of the things that we can't control and focus on the ones that we can. And she gave the metaphor of a roller coaster rider, right? There's two ways to ride that roller coaster. You can white knuckle it, or you can raise your hands up in the air and go with the ride. Both of these riders, they're on this ride. They're having those highs. They're having their lows. It's just one of them is letting go of the things that they can't control about it, and the other one's trying to strain and control everything that they really can't control. But then also within that metaphor, remember that this is just a stop in the park. It's just one ride in the entire amusement park. It is not your entire story. But in regards to control, letting go of the things that you can't control, just sometimes taking a moment and putting your hands up in the air and going with the flow of that. That doesn't mean that you're not going to try to get things done and work towards things, but there's sometimes you have to recognize that there are things that you can't, cannot control, and those are the ones that you have to take a deep breath and let go of and switch your attention to the ones that you can. Number four is a quote. And it is a quote that I held on to through my entire treatment. It is what gave me courage and strength to keep putting my left foot in front of my right and making those baby steps through this journey. And that is a quote from Ambrose Redmoon. He once wrote, "Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear." Y'all, I didn't like to be told I was fearless because fear was something that I owned. I owned quite a bit of fear. It was there, it was a thing. And so to hear that quote of Ambrose Redmond's knowing that it was okay to be afraid. It was okay to own that fear. That didn't mean I was weak and that didn't mean that I didn't have courage. Because guys, in the very, very beginning, I thought that if I acknowledged that fear, then somehow I wasn't gonna make it that I had to be strong and courageous and that the that fear had no place. But this quote, this quote, I'll say it again, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. That quote separates courage from fear. You can have courage and still be afraid because courage means that you're moving on despite that fear riding shotgun. The number five, metaphor that I want to share with you. It's one that I came up with shortly after my fourth chemo. Chemo number four brought about for me this new intense inescapable emotion. Fear was on steroids and it was, a, it was just this fear that I had never known before. This pit, it was dark, it was terrifying. Y'all, I felt like I had to say goodbye. I was afraid terribly afraid. It was right before Christmas, and I was feeling like I had to plan for my children to have Christmas morning without their mother there. My surgery was going to be right before the holidays, and I, I, I really thought, what happens if I die? What happens if I don't make it on the table? My kids, they're going to wake up, and they're going to have Christmas without their mom. How do I prepare them for that? That thought shattered me into a thousand pieces. In a little excerpt from a manuscript that I had written about finding courage, I I say about this moment, I said that I wrote my kids a letter to read should I die. It was the hardest thing that I have ever written, mostly because I feared that I was actually going to die. How do you wrap up in words your love, capture memories of you with your kids? Try to ensure them that everything will be okay. Let them know that you want the best for them in life, that you believe in them, that you would do anything in the world for them, and yet somehow say goodbye of feeling like you're going to die, like you're going to miss all of this. How do you possibly prepare for that? You know, that was what was going on in my mind. That was what was weighing heavy on my heart. I thought that my days were numbered, and that somehow I had to prepare my two little girls for a life without their mother. That was a lot of pressure. That was a lot that I couldn't control. And I was driving along in the car, and a song came on over the radio. It was The Three Wooden Crosses by Randy Travis. And I let the lines sink in. I guess it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you. It's what you leave behind you when you go. And that changed it for me. Okay, so my days, I don't know when my days are done. I don't know if it's going to happen in this surgery. I don't know if I'm going to get a car accident tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to die before Christmas. I don't know if I'm going to get to live to 95, which is the ultimate goal. I didn't have control over any of that. But I could focus on what I wanted to leave behind. And I thought, you know what? That I can control and I decided that if each act was like then this is the metaphor, if each act of kindness was unique in its own beauty, like an individual snowflake, then when we increased these acts of kindness, we would get to see snow, and I wanted to leave behind snow. so I started focusing on doing good whatever I could in that moment, and it didn't have to be some big grand thing, it could be helping somebody cross the street, it could be. Tutoring somebody in calculus. It could be helping my kids with something going on at school. Small things add up to big things. That I could control. In that very moment, I could pick one thing that was kind to do, and that was one snowflake. And as much time as I had, I could add them all up. And that was my goal, I wanted to leave behind snow. So that's metaphor number five. Increase those snowflakes to leave behind snow. And lastly, these are the top five biggest aha moments that I've had that I wanna share with you. Number one is advice for right before you go into surgery. Y'all, I had no idea that I was going to be conscious, that I was going to be awake when they rolled me into the surgical room and that I was going to have to climb onto the table, the table, I had to be awake and actually do that. I didn't know that was gonna be a thing. And for some stupid reason, I decided that I was going to try to soak in as much as I could. I think probably somewhere in my mind, I thought that if I could remember as much as possible, then I could write about this bad low and I could show my kids that, hey, things can get better. Well, this is a memory you do not need. Okay, this is kind of the source of a lot of uh, some of these PTSD-like symptoms that I'm having. Because I will get triggered and I will remember everything about that room. I remember the table. I remember those sharp slicing and dicing tools over there on the side. These are things you don't want to remember. And this was the best piece of advice that was given to me. And it was given to me prior to my second surgery that I had to have when they they did the switch out for the implants and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, during my second surgery, somebody told me, oh, Joyce, don't look around. No, 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 no. Here's your job. You focus on one person. When you're afraid and you're looking around and you're awake and you're trying to figure out what's going on, if you wanna soak up anything, soak up as many details as you can about that one nurse, that one person that's in front of you. Pick one person and you'll be able to write a darn autobiography about them. How many freckles do they have, if any? What does it look like when they smile? What color are their eyes? Everything about that one person, only them, and let the rest of the room drown into darkness. I did that for my second surgery, and I remember very little. It does not haunt me at all. I was not smart enough to know that aha trick for my first surgery, and consequently, I remember way more than I should. Don't do that to yourself. Don't. Instead, you focus on that one person and you write a story completely about them with all these crazy little details about that one person. Make that your focal point. The second big aha moment, and these aren't things that came to me in one step, it it was a process to get to this point and still kind of a work in progress here and there, but thing number two is learning to live and to love with my whole being, with my whole heart. That means showing compassion for those pieces that are less than comfortable about myself, for those pieces of who I am that are far from perfect, and those pieces of myself that I sometimes wish I could carve off or exile someplace. I don't want them. Those negative pieces, those negative emotions, like fear and sadness or grief, they have their own story to tell too. So listen to them and learn from them. Lean from your whole entire heart, which includes not only the good, but those bad, icky, uncomfortable feelings as well. Don't settle for being two-dimensional. Flat Joyce, showing only smiles and perfection, that is not me. It's not realistic. And truthfully, it's not nearly as powerful and courageous as the complete package, accepting my whole heart, Everything about me, that fear, that sadness, and that positivity, and those smiles, it all together. Thing number three, y'all, emotional healing is very, 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 very much a thing. Yes, when you're diagnosed with breast cancer, you have to go through the physical trials one step after another after another, but that is not the only element to this journey. There is this emotional thread as well, and healing from that is very very much a thing and it doesn't magically mend the moment that you finish your actual physical treatment either so there's no and there's no shame in asking for help there's no shame in talking about it because I can tell you this much every single person that I have talked to has said this truth that these emotions it is a big part of this journey so don't ignore them tend to them and heal completely Number four of the aha things that I wanted to pass along to you is knowing that courage is something that we all have, even if you don't feel like it. I did not think that I owned any ounce of courage. That was something that I admired in others and aimed to have myself, but that I didn't think that was part of me. But here's the truth. It is nestled inside each and every one of us. But it's like a puzzle. You have to find it. Puzzle piece at a time and put it together. And what happens when you start putting all these little nuggets of courage that you learn along the way, when you start putting them together, you start to see the entire picture for what it is. Courage. You have that. You just have to uncover it one piece at a time. One step at a time in your journey. It's inside of you. You just have to piece it together. I actually wrote a manuscript called Finding Courage where I talk about those little nuggets that I learned along the way. And One of these days, I will get back to um, trying to get that published. But right now, my focus is on these podcasts. So I will share with you, though, for the top five, the fifth aha moment, I will share with you something that I learned. I wanted to know what sorts of things Would I need to remember if I found myself stuck in a rotten place, in a rotten situation once again? Because my emotions, they were up and down and up and down and up and down and they were incredibly difficult. But when I found myself in a moment where I was able to think a little bit clearer, I wanted to know how do I help myself when I end up getting slammed against the floor once again? What kinds of things do I need to know in in that moment? My therapist actually gave me some really good advice here. She said, use these moments of clarity to talk to yourself. It can be hard to think clearly when you're in the midst of something hard. But if you if you give yourself a message to the future you, it can be quite powerful. Here's an excerpt from my manuscript, Finding Courage, where I talk about that. It's my lessons learned. I said talk to yourself, coach yourself, utilize moments of clarity and calm to relay information to a future you, things that you would want the future frazzled you to really know. You can write yourself a letter, you can make a video, create a recording, or put together a playlist of songs that say everything that you know that you'll need to hear. Find a way to get your message in a figurative bottle and throw it into the sea for future you to find. So for acquiring this token of courage, talk to yourself. Be your own coach. For me, I wrote myself a letter, and here's the letter that I wrote to future me. Future me. If you find yourself drowning in a hole of emotions that you can't handle, know that you've been there before. However, each time that you fell, you eventually stood up again, even the times when you didn't know how. Not only did you rise, but a newly found nugget of strength accompanied you each of these times. You just need to have faith and hope and believe that it will happen again. Be kind and patient with yourself. Take it slowly. You have been cold and broken before. You have been swallowed up by intense emotions, felt like you couldn't breathe, and found yourself trapped and panicked on the icy, unforgiving ground. You have witnessed the color bleed away from the world around you as hopelessness tried to replace optimism. I know that it scares you and that you feel alone while there. I know that you hate being trapped and feeling like you have no control. You feel like no one can hear you when you're stuck that far in a hole. Or perhaps you just don't want them to hear you because you don't want them to know when your smile has faded. You're right. It's a world that you don't like, that you don't recognize, and that you don't want to be a part of. You want the color to return and get angry with yourself when you can't find the paint to make that happen. This only adds to your defeat. If you feel like this now, know that you've been there before, and you have survived. You have been there, and yet you were able to move past it. The color returns, it always does, and the colors are so much more radiant after the rain. It may seem like an eternity when you have to deal with unpleasant emotions and strife, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really just a bump in time. Yes, you are changed. You're a new person now, but you will find your new normal and find a way to be stronger for it. Think of the times that you've fallen before and how much stronger you were when you got back up. It will happen again. Your girls will look back at this journey of yours and somehow be able to find their own strength, to find courage in the midst of their own pain. Show them that it can be done. Time is not always your favorite thing, so when I tell you to, quote, give it time and... Be patient. It's probably just going to annoy you. You want to know how much time and what to do now to make it go away. You don't want to give it time, nor do you want to be patient. Those are hard things for you to accept, but that's the truth. Know that in the big scheme of things, it's really not that long. If it makes you feel any better, focus each day on making those snowflakes. Think of those small things that make you happy as well. Remember that being able to rise up again has a lot to do with accepting yourself in your entirety. Every emotion, good or bad, and every scar that you've been given are part of you, and you need to love and accept them as part of you. When those emotions, when they get too hard to carry, say something. Don't let pride and shame cloud your vision. Listen to your own advice. You are the one who walks this journey But that doesn't mean that you are alone. Love, present tense you. Be kind to yourself, folks. You're going through something pretty difficult. So be patient and be kind with yourself. Thank you all for joining us here today. For more information, please visit our online Breast Cancer Resource Center at www.togetherweweather.org. Here you'll have access to resources, education outreach opportunities, You can also hear interviews from other survivors. Check it out and then share both our podcast and our website with somebody else that you know that may be going through a diagnosis such as this. I'm looking forward to speaking with you all again soon. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.